Happy New Year, Emma. Happy New Year 2020. We have great vision this year. It's <laughs> funny. And we've entered a new decade. Yes. I know. I can't believe it. We watched Inception last night and it was in 2010. Oh my gosh. Like, I cannot believe all that has happened in one whole decade. Time flies. What are your uh, plans for this decade? Or this year at least? Oh, this year. I think consistency more than making actual resolutions. It's more of like having goals to be consistent in reading and going to the gym. Because I feel like when you have a goal, you can it's easier to keep it. Whereas a resolution, it's like as soon as you fail that resolution, you're kind of done with. Or at least you feel like you're done with it. You're right. I like that attitude. Yeah, I'd like to have better time management this year. That's uh, one of my goals. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we can always be better at time management. Yeah, it's hard in grad school. And I mean, multiple careers, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just... You have to be so proactive about time. Well, since New Year's is a time of reflection, I thought that we could actually go back um, today to one of our old stories about the CRISPR-edited babies. This is part three. We have even, we've done the first CRISPR babies, I think, a year or so ago, and there's been so much news that this is our third time talking about it. We just can't get enough. twins that were born in October of 2018 are now over a year old and when we finished the story last time we still had a lot of remaining questions about uh, whether any of this gene editing even happened or what was going to happen to the um, principal investigator who actually carried out these studies. Why don't we remind our listeners of the basics of CRISPR gene editing in case they're unfamiliar but I feel like it's been in the news so much at this point that hopefully people are slightly familiar with CRISPR. Definitely, and we've talked about it a few times now, but uh, just to recap, we know that CRISPR is a technique that we use to make edits in our DNA. So you may remember that we actually stole this system from bacteria who use it as a kind of immune system to chop up viral DNA. So in the lab, we refined this system to be able to use the Cas9 protein, which is basically like a pair of molecular scissors that makes cuts in DNA, Um, to make precise cuts in the genome. And much like editing a Word document, we can paste or delete sections uh, of the genome to make whatever changes we want. And CRISPR as a technology has a lot of promise to treat human diseases because some human diseases have a clear genetic cause. If you think of diseases that are maybe caused by one gene mutation, CRISPR is a great way to treat this disease because it can target that specific spot of the disease. Whereas if you look at other diseases that are caused by both environmental and genetic factors, CRISPR is not as useful for that. But going back to these very clear genetic diseases, even though it seems easy to make these precise changes, there are still lots of problems with CRISPR. It's not 100% efficient, so if you use it on a person, you're not totally sure that every one of their cells would have the intended changes that you want. That's right, and off-targets are also a huge concern with CRISPR. Um, So CRISPR is not just all about that Cas9 protein I talked about. Uh, The other part of the system is this RNA that we call guide RNA. So this is a 23 nucleotide piece of RNA that acts as kind of like a postal code for or an address for a specific spot in the genome. But the problem is that with 
being only 23 nucleotides long, there are lots of places in the genome that might look pretty similar to this. So even if you have a match in a different place where 19 out of those 23 nucleotides are the same, it is possible that Cas9 get, might get sent to the wrong spot and you might get a cut where you're not intending to make one. And then you can end up with an unintended mutation, right? So you might think that with all of these potential issues with CRISPR, that scientists would be exercising the utmost caution when moving forward with CRISPR in humans. And for the most part, you'd be right, except there's been one huge exception. And this exception is Dr. He Jiangku, who in November 2018, he broke at an international summit on gene editing in Hong Kong that he'd used gene editing on two human embryos to make the first gene edited babies. And he presented this research uh, at the summit and went through 60 slides in just 20 minutes. So in this presentation, he claimed that the purpose of this gene editing was to reduce the risk of uh, these babies actually contracting HIV because the father was HIV positive. And he did this by targeting the CCR5 gene. Um, so we talked about in the first video that CCR5 is expressed in T cells and HIV uses this protein to gain access to the cells. And we know people with naturally occurring mutations in CCR5 are actually protected from contracting HIV. So he set out to recreate these mutations in human embryos to confer HIV resistance to these babies whose father had HIV. However, this is not the only way for an HIV positive father to have children. There are proven methods such as a combination of antivirals or washing the father's sperm that can prevent the embryo from being infected by the virus. And this led to most of the scientific community being completely shocked by what he presented at this summit, especially because this gene editing was not completely necessary to prevent the disease, and there are serious concerns that the parents might not have been completely informed about the experiment that was going on to their children. So that was where we were last time we covered the story, but we still had a lot of questions about the validity of the study as well as what was going to happen to the lead scientist. Uh, so what did happen to he Jiangku? At this time last year, we could only speculate because he kind of just disappeared off the face of the planet and no one knew where he was. But we now know that he has been fired from his position at the university and he's been sentenced to prison for three years for practicing medicine without a license. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it seems like they considered doing this editing to be worthy of needing like a medical license as opposed to just a doctorate. I mean, yeah, it makes sense. So there are human lives at stake, literally. Yeah, completely. His sentencing revealed something interesting. It stated that he was being sentenced for his experiment in which three genetically edited babies were born. And if you remember when he talked in 2018, he only talked about two babies. So this third baby is a completely new piece of the puzzle. Yeah, this is crazy. I mean, last year when we talked about this, we didn't even know if a lot of people were questioning whether these two babies even existed at all. And now the Chinese government is confirming Indeed they do, and there's an additional baby. Yeah, it seems like this does add some more validity to this claim that he did gene edit babies, but it's still kind of hard to believe any of this without seeing the actual data. I mean, we've mentioned before when we read scientific journals, we can look at the data, we can 
kind of think about it and really see if it makes sense according to what their hypothesis is. And he still has not been able to publish his manuscript. He sent it to Nature and to the Journal of American Medicine Association, and both of them sent it back unreviewed and said they couldn't review it due to ethical considerations. Well, we might not be able to see the peer-reviewed article published in a journal yet, but I was able to find this um, article published by the MIT Technology Review where they posted excerpts from the unpublished manuscript. And they also posted alongside with these excerpts um, some comments by four expert reviewers, including a legal scholar, a fertility doctor, uh, an embryologist, and a gene editing guru. So what does this unpublished manuscript tell us that he left out of his presentation? Well, the first thing you see is the author list. I mean, you mentioned that he was sentenced for practicing medicine without a license. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting that there are no medical doctors on the author list. Yeah, I mean, it's if you're working in a medical community, especially hospitals, it's really typical for medical doctors and principal investigators, which are just scientists, to co-author papers that involve the clinical applications of research. So this is really surprising. Yes, and because of this, some of the reviewers even speculated that maybe the fertility doctors didn't know that they were implanting gene-edited embryos. And I guess there's no way for us to know for sure unless we heard from the actual doctors. And maybe not including them on the author list was a way to prevent them from punishment and press. It's hard to say. It could be. It it looks like a year later we still have a lot of questions left. (laughs) So does this manuscript mention anything about off-targets? Because that's been one of the biggest concerns with CRISPR, is if you're editing one gene, are there any other genes that are being affected and could thus affect the function of how something works? Of course, yeah. Um, So he does provide some details on how they looked at off-targets, but it's not super detailed, honestly. The text says that he performed, and you can't see the whole manuscript, so we can't know all of his methods, but... But from what the MIT review article published, uh, the text says that he performed whole genome sequencing, um, which is a technique that we can use to look at all the DNA in a cell. And he just used a few cells from the early embryo so that he could look at the DNA and, and check for these mutations. In one embryo, he found no mutations. And in the second embryo, he found one insertion of a single base pair. And this mutation happen in a region in between genes. So we know that regions between genes can actually still have a lot of important functions. For instance, proteins that regulate how much a gene is expressed or turned on usually bind to DNA close to that gene. So that DNA close to the gene may not be important for the actual function of the protein, but it can affect how much of the protein is present or not. Right, but it, it can be hard to know. I mean, in this case, there's nothing reported about this area where the mutation was found, Um, but there's still a lot of things that we don't know about these non-coding areas of the genome, so who's to say it couldn't have an effect. The experts also had a huge problem with this method that he used. This is because embryos are a, a mosaic, probably. So a genetic mosaic occurs when one individual is made up of DNA that isn't exactly identical. This happens naturally in all of us because the human embryo goes through multiple rounds of cell division 
and DNA replication is inherently flawed. We're all mosaics. You can think of this in terms of if you've ever seen a calico cat, the different patches of colors on the cat are an indicator of genetic mosaicism. So some of the cells express just the orange coat color and some of the cells express the white coat color. So you can see in a physical example that is what a mosaic looks like. And all of us are mosaic in some sort of way. So by that explanation, probably every human embryo is a mosaic, but in the case of CRISPR, it's likely to be even more so the case because you introduced the Cas9 and you made cuts um, and you increased the chances of having mutations because of having that Cas9. Exactly. And each of the cells in the embryo may choose a different way to fix the mutation. Since they only looked at a few cells at the beginning of the development, it could be that there are more mutations to start with and the cell that they looked at just happened to repair the mutations. So there'd be no way to know for sure that there are no mutations unless you destroy the entire embryo and search every cell. And they only looked at maybe two or three cells out of the eight-cell embryo. Exactly. So it's not as thorough as he could have been. And even though he checked some of the cells for off-targets, we don't know the information for the most important cells, that is, the cells that went on to be that embryo that was implanted, right? Right. What's worse is when the experts looked at the DNA sequencing results, it looked like even in the cells that he analyzed, there may be some genetic mosaicism and maybe not all the cells got edited. So if this is the case, there could be some cells with mutation, some cells without mutation, and then who's to say which cell is going to go on to become those immune cells that... Um, HIV even targets at all. So what if you made the repair, but not in the right cells? So what would happen if a cell in the embryo that went on to make T cells was not actually edited? Then that, that cell that then gives rise to all the T cells, it will have the normal copy of that CCR5 gene. So the babies would be able to be infected by HIV anyways. And then maybe you do have that mutation um, in other places like the brain. And we mentioned this in a previous video that CCR5 um, knockout mice have enhanced intelligence. So maybe you're having other effects. So this brings up another problem in this paper in that it's littered with falsehoods and unfounded claims. So there were several instances of this and the MIT review article kind of goes into this a bit more, but some we wanted to talk about where it was that he states that the gene editing was successful, but it was not. If you look at some of the data, it's very sloppy data. One twin didn't even have both of the alleles edited or both copies of the gene edited, so she still has a wild type copy and only partial protection to HIV infection. He states that the children are immune to HIV infection, but he never tested it. And lastly, he even lied about the birth date of these twins, saying that they were born in November when he had previously stated they were born in October. So there's a lot of, if you're lying about these sort of things, then that makes people completely question your science, why you're doing this, the motivation. So there's a lot of issues with this. Exactly. I mean, all of what we do in the lab and in the field, it's built on trust. We trust that you're telling the truth. We trust that you're using all the right controls. And if you write these things that are blatantly false, that makes it really hard to believe what you're saying. 
So speaking of ethics, he also claimed that there was an ethics review that was performed in March of 2017, but the study wasn't even registered with the Chinese government's um, clinical trial registry until November 8th, 2018, after the babies were born. So it's unlikely there was an ethical review. So speaking of ethics, let's dive a little deeper into the ethical impacts of this gene editing on these twins and what this kind of looks like for the field as a whole. So one of the big ethical issues is that he did no testing beforehand to see if the mutations that they were going to make in the twins would actually prevent the spread of HIV. It would be easy to do this in a cell culture model, say if you grow up some immune cells, you, you mutate these immune cells with those mutations, and you expose these immune cells to HIV and see if they're resistant. He did not do any of this. They just went directly into human beings. And this goes pretty much against everything scientists are taught. If you are familiar with the drug development system, new drugs aren't given directly to humans. They're instead tested on cells and then moved to animals and then finally moved to humans. Exactly. So it's not the same as a naturally occurring mutation in individuals. It's a new mutation. We don't know what it does. We know CCR5 has other functions besides letting HIV into the cell, right? Um, it's in your immune, it's important for your immune system. And it, it, apparently it has functions in the brain too that maybe we don't know about yet. So it's really irresponsible to just put this random thing into a human being. So also in, in the excerpt from the paper, he kind of points out that this could be a way to eradicate HIV, but this isn't really going to help some of the most vulnerable populations where HIV is rampant, such as Africa. It's not really feasible to implement this technology in a developing country like Africa. And even if it was, it's still debated whether this editing even took place, since we don't have any evidence. There's no publication, there's no evidence, there's no data, so it's not really a valid therapeutic strategy yet. And if we think about uh, funding of scientific endeavors, oftentimes in the states we get funding from the government or from other businesses whose mission is to help further the cause of a certain disease. But in the leaked paper there is no information on who actually funded the work that he did on the CRISPR babies. There's been speculation that the Chinese government funded it, specifically the Ministry of Science and Technology, the Sejuan, no, Shenzhen Science and Technology Innovation Commission, which is part of the municipal government, and the Southern University of Science and Technology, where he listed, where he worked. And these were all listed as sources in his original presentation, but none of these were mentioned in the actual paper. So if these institutes... If their grant money was used, it's not clear if they knew that the grant money was going towards this. He may have had the money before starting editing with CRISPR, and then he may have said he was receiving government funding to add more credibility to this study. But that's something that's kind of unknown. But if the government is giving you money to do this study that everyone else says should not happen, that's a huge problem for the field of gene editing as a whole. Yikes. <laughs> Obviously, this is not good for the gene editing field. This is bad press, and it reminds me of the Jesse Gelslinger um, case that happened with uh, gene therapy, where that set the field back kind of 10 years. Um, so where are we with um, CRISPR for gene editing? Well, Fang Zhang, who's one of the guys involved in CRISPR and in founding it, 
called for a moratorium on gene editing, and this was back in 2018 after his uh, presentation at the summit. But that only works if all scientists in the world agree, and obviously there are some that are willing to try things that others are not willing to try. And one such scientist is Denis Rabokhanov, a Russian scientist, who he's planning to use gene editing to correct a mutation that leads to deafness. But in his defense, he is waiting to get approval from the government, unlike he did. The public has their eye on CRISPR because it's so sci-fi and futuristic, and there are actually even sites where you can buy these biohacking kits to use CRISPR in your garage. It kind of seems like if someone is making using CRISPR to make these gene editing babies, now that anybody feels like they can do it in their own backyard. Yeah, there was even a news story I saw where this guy had been injecting various parts of his body with CRISPR to try and enhance muscle. And his wife claims that that worked. People aren't really sure, but he's just (laughs) injecting himself with muscle, with CRISPR, to grow his muscle. I mean, you can't, that is something you can do. You can do experiments on yourself. Should you? Mm. Debatable. Maybe not. (laughs) However, CRISPR is still uh, making its way into the clinics, so... One of the first clinical trials for CRISPR is um, involves using it to cure a type of blindness that has a clear genetic um, cause. So, you know, this is different from what we're talking about because it's it's editing adult cells that aren't going to become human embryos and be passed on for generations and generations and generations. So people are a little less skeptical about this type of gene editing. I think it will be a very, very long time until people feel comfortable with editing embryos. But, I mean, I thought that before he, Janku, did this experiment, and I was wrong, so it could be wrong. And ultimately, it comes down to laws need to be put in place to present the blatant overstepping of ethics happening. But that brings up another issue of not all scientists have the same ethical compass, and that often will affect what they are willing to do for the name of science. On one hand, it's really cool that he did this for the science sake, but when you pair that with ethics, that's where it gets kind of tricky. And imprisoning he may seem drastic, but he definitely crossed ethical lines and also fake documents involved in CRISPR babies. And ultimately, the difficult thing with making these laws is people need to agree on them, and enforcing a law across the world is pretty impossible with everyone's different viewpoints. The future of genetics is super exciting, but it definitely needs to be taken one step at a time where the technology does not get ahead of the ethical implications. (laughs) 